friends, we are deep into the Parsha. And we are in the middle of the second plague where Paro has asked Moshe to please pray for him. Get these frogs out of here. And Moshe says, no problem. You tell me when you want them to go away. He says, tomorrow. And Moshe says he's going to take care of it, take care of it for him. Verse 7, Vesoru Hatzvardim, Moshe is saying, and we've seen this in the past where an aliyah will be broken in the middle of a of a conversation. So yes, yesterday's ended in the middle of this conversation. Moshe is continuing now that the frogs will depart from you and from your homes, from your servants and from your nation. It's interesting. This is repeated several times. We had it yesterday where Moshe is talking about you, Pharaoh, your servants. This is like, you know, the people in the palace, um, or his ministers, and Amecha, your nation. So that's all of his subjects. And it's repeated several times. We also had in Rashi earlier that he first talks about Paro, then about the people, since Paro was the one who had this whole idea to enslave the Jewish people, although the Egyptians all followed along with that. Paro gets punished first, since he's the one who initiated the idea. So, Moshe says, these frogs are going to leave you, your house, your servants, your nation, they're only going to remain in the Nile. That's where they belong. Verse 8, So Moshe and Aaron leave from being with Paro, and then Moshe cries out to God, regarding the frogs that he had brought upon Paro. As Moshe told Paro, I will pray for you as you asked to get rid of these frogs. Rashi says he prayed immediately so that, they, that, that the frogs would leave the next day. Not that he waited for the next day to pray. Verse 9, God did as Moshe said. And the frogs died. From the houses, from the courtyards, and from the fields. They gathered them into many heaps. The land began to stink. Are piles, heaps. Verse 11, so now Parai, who had come to Moshe begging, please do me a favor to get rid of these frogs, suddenly has a change of heart. Paro saw that there was relief. The frogs were gone. So he hardened his heart. He did not listen to them, just as God had spoken that that was going to happen. Verse 12, God said to Moshe, Speak to Aaron. All right, we're ready for plague number three. Paro is 0 for 2. God says to Moshe, Speak to Aaron and stretch forth your, your staff and smite the earth. First two are on the Nile. The second one is on the, on the dirt, the dust of the earth. And what's going to happen? It's, the earth is going to become lice throughout the entire land of Egypt. 
Rashi, as he commented about the fact that Aharon was the one who who hits the Nile, strikes the Nile twice, one with the blood and one with the frogs. Here also, why is it Aharon that strikes the earth and not Moshe? And the answer is, Rashi tells us, Lo lilkos Moshe. It wouldn't have been proper for the dirt to have been smitten by Moshe. Why? Because the earth, the dirt, had protected him when he killed the Egyptian who was beating the Jew. Moshe killed the Egyptian and buried him in the sand. Therefore, it wouldn't be right for Moshe to now hit and plague the earth, turning it into lice. He owed the earth, so to speak, for what it had done for him. And as I mentioned yesterday, that we, we, we derive an incredible lesson that if you benefit from somebody, here we're talking about, we're talking about water, we're talking about the dirt. Certainly a fellow human being that does something for you, even if it wasn't their intention to help you, let's say it's their job, you still have to say thank you. And that's the, that's the Torah way. Verse 13, Vayasuchain. So they did so. And Aaron stretched forth his hand with his staff, and he smote the earth of the land, the dirt of the land, Vatiakinum, and the lice went on the people and on the animals. The entire dirt of the land became lice throughout Egypt. Not to be outdone. The necromancers tried to do the same thing with their incantations, their secret rites, and they were successful the first two times. They did manage to turn water into blood and to create these frogs. But when they tried to replicate the plague of lice, they failed. They tried. They were unable to do so. And the lice was upon the people and the animals. So they were outdone. They were outdone. Yeah. Rashi explains something very interesting. Then why why take? Why indeed could they not replicate this plague? The answer is because these powers of magic, of impurity that they were employing are only capable of having power over a creature that is larger than a barley corn. A, 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 a single barley and since the lice are so small it's something that they do not have power over we do have this concept of that God created the world in such a way that there is an equality between holiness and unholiness so just as in holiness you have miraculous activity that goes beyond nature so God also implanted within the world this type of um, a power to manipulate nature in the world in the realm of unholiness. And the Egyptians had this power. And so they were able to do these types of things. But, yes, God creates equality and there's kind of a, you know, a holy and an unholy um, parallels. But still, the holy is going to be stronger. And so the, the, the actual power of God, which is being used in a, in a godly way, in a holy way, the way that Moshe is channeling the miraculous 
that's going to outperform the powers of impurity which the Egyptians had. That's going to be more limited. Verse 15, and to say it in another way, Moshe was accessing that which is really beyond nature, the miraculous, the godly. And they, although they were manipulating nature, ultimately they were under the dictate of nature, and therefore their power came to a certain degree where they couldn't go any further. Verse 15, so the necromancers say to Paro, Etzba elikimhi, this is the finger of God. Clearly this is no longer, as Rashi says, makazu shafim. This play cannot be from sorcery, it must be from God. In other words, the first two plagues, we could argue, did not come from God. Moshe and Aaron are amazing magicians, and they're even maybe even better than us. And they did a great job. But this one, it's 100% cannot be sorcery. It must be. It comes from God. So now we're really upping the ante here, where Paro is, it no longer has this excuse of being able to say that Moshe and Aaron, ah, they were uh, they're magicians. He knows now that this is really coming from God. And still, wow, Paro is the king of, of stubbornness. He is, remains stubborn. He does not listen to them. Hashem, as God had spoken. Verse 16. So now he's 0 for 3. God says to Moshe, Get up early in the morning. Stand in front of Paro. Behold, he's going to be going out to the water. To the Nile. And as we learned yesterday in Rashi, the reason he goes out early in the morning to the Nile is because he likes to make as if he's a god. And he claims he doesn't have to go to the bathroom. What kind of god needs to go to the bathroom? But he does have to go to the bathroom because he's not a god. So what does he do? He gets up early in the morning, goes to the Nile, and nobody's looking. He does what he has to do. So God says, you meet him over there. Well, Marte, love, you shall say to him, Koyo Marashem. So said God, Shalach Ami Viavduni, send out my people and let them serve me. Verse 17, if you are not sending out my people, behold, I'm going to send within you and within your servants and within your nations, your nation, and within your homes. Esha Oroiv. Oroiv is a mixture. Like you have Eruvin and Eruv, it means to mix. And it means, in this case, a mixture of noxious creatures. The houses of Egypt are going to be filled with this mixture of wild animals, and as well as the land upon which they are. I just share with you a Mashiach thought. This word, mashliach, hinini mashliach, is an interesting word. It's unusual. And one of the Toysavists of Abinu Ephraim says that this is really a hint to Mashiach. Le Mashiach. And the reason that Mashiach is being hinted to over here is because we, we're talking now about the Exodus from Egypt. And we know that the Exodus was only part one. The Exodus was part one. Where's part two? What's the sequel? The sequel is when we leave the Gullus, this Gullus that we're in now, the exile that we're in now. 
And so within the story of the Exodus, there's a little hint to Mashiach. As it says, that, that God says about the future, the future redemption, that He will show us wonders just as He did in the times of the Exodus from Egypt. Says Rashi, what is Arav? I'm sorry, Mashliach doesn't mean to send, it means to uh, incite. Incite these animals against them. So Arav, what, are they, what does that mean? Rashi says, all types of wild beasts and snakes and scorpions, Birbuvia, all mixed together, and they would destroy, create destruction among Egyptians. Now Rashi suddenly goes back and explains a little bit what's going on with these various plagues. What's the theme? So he says, "Ishtam In the Agadic, in the in the Midrash, talks about why this plague and why that plague. And he says it's basically like a war. When you go to war against an enemy, the first thing you do is you go after the water supply so that's what they did that's what god does first the water is turned into blood then you start making lots of noises you're blowing trumpets you're uh, blowing the shofar to scare the people operation shock and awe and that was represented by the frogs that are making all of this noise and so on and so forth Verse 18, now we see in this fourth plague, so in each plague there's something new that happens. As we saw in the plague of lice, it's something that the magicians can no longer replicate. What's going to be new about this one is that it's going to be very clear that in the land of Goshen, where the Jewish people live, that's going to be separate. And it's going to be different. If there it's going to be very clear there's no plague of wild beasts. In order that you shall know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Rashi says, Even though my divine presence is in the heavens, My decree is fulfilled within the earth. Let's keep going. Let's go to tomorrow's since everybody's having a great time. Verse 19, I will make a redemption. Here again we see that there is a, a, a split from one aliyah to another in the middle of a paragraph, middle of somebody speaking. This time is God speaking. And I will make a redemption between my nation and between your nation. Tomorrow you will have this sign. will come about. And God did so. And if this mixture of noxious beasts, a heavy, a heavy load of them, came to the house of Paro and to the house of his servant. So it's consistent with what we, we had before, that it first goes after the Pharaoh, then to his servants. And throughout the land of Egypt, the earth was being destroyed because of these wild beasts. So Paro calls to Moshe and Aaron. And this time he says, go. Go 
make your offerings to the Lord, to your Lord, in the land. Now he says, Ba'oretz, in the land. What does that mean? Rashi says, right here. You're telling me you want to go out to the desert to worship to your Lord. And that's why I'm getting hit with all these plagues. I have a great idea. Go sacrifice right here in the land. You don't need to go to the desert. <laughs> ideas. Right? People are, are very generous with ideas. So Paro was generous with ideas. Verse 22, Vayoyimir Moshe, an expression. Far Eitzes Habich Shmuel Isaac. It was an old man in, in Crown Heights. He used to ask people he used to ask people for things. They give him advice. He says, for advice I have Shmuel Isaac. This was another old man in the, in the community. Says, for advice I go to him. For you I'm not asking advice. I need your help. So Moshe says, Loi nochin las is king. It's improper to do that. Ki Hashem, The abomination of the Egyptians, that's what we're going to sacrifice to our God, the Lord our God. Now what does it mean, the abomination of the Egyptians? Actually, this, this means the deity of the Egyptians. Because they used to worship the sheep. The Torah refers to it as an abomination for the Jews because they considered the worship of of, uh, of a sheep to be an abomination. Rashi gives a second explanation. Not toavas doesn't mean, um, does not mean the abomination, but rather it's something that is hateful to the Egyptians if we were to go and slaughter the sheep because we would be slaughtering their deity. You got to get the tune right over here. If we were to, to sacrifice this deity of the Egyptians, the sheep, in front of their eyes, they're not going to stone us? Rashi says, Bitmia means that you're supposed to read these words as a question. And they will not stone us? Verse 23, We got to go out into the desert at a, a distance of three days. And there we will worship the Lord our God. I'm sorry, we will, we will offer sacrifice to the Lord our God. As He will tell us. So Paro says, Okay, I will send you. I'm going to send you. And you're going to slaughter the Lord your God in the desert. But Paro is negotiating away. But don't go too far. Pray on my behalf. Just like he asked to get rid of the frogs. He asked now to get rid of the Arav. So Moshe says, Behold, I'm going to go out from being with you and I'll pray to God. We see again that Moshe says, When I leave your presence, that's when I'll pray to God. Presumably, he doesn't want to pray in the presence of all the idols that Paro has in his palace. But I will pray to God and these wild animals will leave from Paro, from his servants, from his people again tomorrow. Rak, but Al Yosef Pari Hasil, let Paro not tease anymore. Let him not play. Levilti Shalach and not by not sending out the people to, to slaughter the Lord. Verse 26, so he leaves Paro and he prays to God. 
Yes, Rashi points out that this word for pr- prayer, vayetar, is like a very serious prayer. It's an exertion in prayer, more than a regular prayer. It's a good question. Why is Moshe getting so into prayer on behalf of, of power? It's a good question. Verse 27, Vayas God said, as did, as Moshe said, and these wild beasts were removed. He removed the wild beasts from Paro, from his servants, and from his people. Not even one was left. Rashi points out that by the frogs, it says that they died, and they were piled up in piles. But with the wild beasts, it doesn't say that. Why? Because if they would have died, then the Egyptians would have had benefit from the hides of the animals. This was before Peter. And they used to use the uh, hides of animals for various things. So they shouldn't benefit from what's supposed to be a plague, whereas there's no benefit, or they didn't have any benefit from a pile of dead frogs. Verse 28, Here we have this expression that Paro hardens his heart. Till now we're saying, Here it says the word, Significant. Also this time, and he did not send the people. What's gam, even in this time? Also, why also? Even though he he already said, I'm going to let you go, he did not fulfill his promise. God said to Moshe, come to Pare. So now he's 0 for 4. Blood, frogs, lice, wild beasts, 0 for 4. Now we're in Plague five. You shall say to him, so said the God of the of the Hebrews, send out my people and they shall serve me. This is repeated that the, the, the freedom of the Jewish people is not freedom for freedom's sake. It was the French Revolution. But rather a freedom based on purposeful freedom, which is to be free to serve God. Verse 2, For if you refuse to let them go, which is more like the American Revolution. If you refuse to let them go, and you still hold on to them, God's hand is going to be upon your livestock that is in the field, on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the cattle, and on the, on the sheep. Dever COVID made a very heavy pestilence. And again, God is going to make a difference. He's going to distinguish between the flocks of the Jewish people and the flocks of Egypt, and those from the Jewish people are not going to die. And God gave an appointed time saying, Tomorrow God is going to do this thing in the land. That's a new that's something new. Plague number five. And God does this thing on the next day, and all of the livestock of Egypt die. But from the livestock of the Jewish people, not even one died. Paro sends out his messengers to go check out what's going on. Is this really true? And and he finds out, yes, not one of the Jewish-owned livestock died. In other words, Paro was still holding out and saying, you know what, there was a plague, there's a pestilence, and maybe he predicted it. And he predicted it's going to be tomorrow. Okay. But if it really was just a a fluke, how would it be that all of the Jewish livestock are not dying? 
So he's holding out and thinking maybe that part of the of Moshe's prediction did not come true. And he finds out, yes, it is true. And still, even after he hears that, he hardened his heart and will not let the people out. Well, that takes us through plague number five. There's another two plagues in this week's Parsha, six and seven. And the last three plagues will be in next week's Parsha, but we'll pause it here and open it up to Q and A. See you, Douglas. Nice to see you. Shabbat Shalom. got frogs frogs left stayed in the Nile mm. Paro hardened his heart I lost it maybe one of the questions is, and maybe it was answered like why did God harden Pharaoh's heart like over and over and over there, there are the moral stories there behind it, right? Right. So until now... One or two, it, it, it went through ten. Right. So there's a, there's a famous question on this, which is... Well, we didn't get to it yet. But until now, Paro is hardening his own heart. But it will come to a point where it does say that God hardened Paro's heart. And there you have the question, well, what is the point of it? If he is, uh, what, where is his free choice? God could just stop hardening his heart and he'll let the people go. Isn't that, the, isn't that ultimately the goal? That's one question. Another question is that God already predicted that he's going to harden his heart. So even if he is hardening his heart, you have the famous question of divine omniscience where god knows what's going to happen and how does that square with the idea of free choice if god knows what i'm going to do how do i really have free choice so these are two separate questions we'll start with the first one first one why is god hardening his heart and and that also has two questions within it is it fear to harden his heart and then punish him and the second is why drag this thing out i think was was you're saying so the first question of hardening of his heart, there's different explanations. One is that, I'll give you two of them. One is that that's part of his punishment. That we, and to take it to the personal, you know, we have free choice. But if we don't exercise our free choice, or we exercise it in, I'm sorry, we exercise our, our free choice in a negative way, we choose the wrong thing, we could bring ourselves to a point where we don't have free choice. And that's part of our, 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 we cause that. So you're given a simple example. When you have your first drink, you have free choice not to have a second one. But at some point, you don't have free choice anymore. It's a long point. It'll take a long time. I heard. You know, uh, um, it, after, after a few with me, 
Um, I I don't find it uh, much of a choice at all. You know, I start to lose my desire for it. <laughs> I gotcha. I gotcha. <laughs> but I heard there was a Simchas Torah where somebody said, I just had that one drink that I shouldn't have had. <laughs> so you still had free choice at that point. You knew what was happening. But that's that's an example. It could be a very sad situation. And uh, that's an example of where you start off with free choice and then you don't have free choice, but it's your own fault. So that's one approach. The other approach is, if I'm not mistaken, it's from the Sforno, that what it means that God hardened his heart is not that he removed his free choice. We interpret it that way. That if God hardened his heart, that means he didn't have a choice. But that's not what it means, according to this interpretation. He still had free choice. But God was evening out the playing field. On the one hand, you've got all these plagues. So as, as, uh, as Eric said, you know, uh, at some point you don't want to do the wrong thing. And so you don't really have free choice to do the right thing because you have no desire for the wrong thing. The wrong thing is too painful. So now you don't have free choice from the other direction. So by God hardening Paro's heart, he wasn't removing his free choice. In fact, he was giving him free choice. That despite everything that he had gone through and everything that he had experienced, he was still able to choose send the Jewish people or not send the Jewish people. And under normal circumstances, he would no longer have a choice. It would be too easy to say yes, as he finally does for the 10th plate. So that answers that question. The, the question of why drag it out? So I'll I'll uh, I'll pull from. I have a theory. Oh yeah, an yeah. Go ahead. Um, and the answer that I'm thinking of um, is actually uh, not to teach Pharaoh a lesson. Pharaoh is a goy. Um, is actually to uh, bring it uh, to strengthen the Hebrew people in God. Um, you know, their belief in God. In, in seeing this over and over, um, what I say is what's happening. What I say is what's happening. What I say is what's happening. It's not a coincidence. Um, that's my interpretation. It's like he's just a vessel here for me to demonstrate to you my. Very good. Why, why you should believe in me, but I, I don't know. Maybe there is better, better, better. Uh, no, I, I, I like, uh, I like that interp, I like that interpretation. That's what I was basically going to say. Um, and we see that it's being repeated after each. You know, when God uh, talks about the coming plagues, lamanteda, so, so that it shall be known mm-hmm. that God is a God in in the midst of the earth. But the reason that there's 10, this is what I was going to say about the number 10. This is in Pirkei Avot in chapter 5. It has a series of things that are 10. God created the world with 10 utterances, 10 plagues, 10 miracles in the, in the, the Beit HaMikdash, 10 tests that God gave to Abraham, 10 miracles. Um, so the reason for that is because the number 10 is a complete number. And... It's, you know, when you ha- when you have nine, you don't have a minion. It's great. It could be the nine best people in the world, but there's still not a minion. It's still not complete. Still not, co- not, we're not fully covered. 
you haven't um, you don't have something complete and the same thing God tests Abraham ten times why ten why not nine the answer is until he's been tested ten times we haven't covered all the bases there could be some element that he, that where he's not completely dedicated to God once it's ten oh we've covered everything and in a similar vein as you're saying if the if the um, ulterior motive, let's say, for this whole plague, ten plagues, is to teach the Jewish people. And it's to teach Paro as well. I would disagree with you on that, that it's not to teach Paro. It's to teach Paro as well, and the Egyptians. Um, and anyone who's going to hear about it, and during that time and forevermore, the, 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 uh, the number ten is significant in that it's showing the power of God in these ten different ways, which is a complete... Um, it can it complete the complete number of it being shown in all, every possible, um, in in all the the major possible ways that cover all bases. Sorry, Eric. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask if I could respond to that. Something you know, most of what I was going to say, um, you you said, um, you know that. Uh, even beyond the Jewish people and beyond Paro and the Egyptians, you know, I think you also mentioned, you know, everyone around who could observe the the you know um, all the plagues and the whole the whole episode, um, yeah, the whole world. You know, I think uh, you know at, during some of these uh, plagues, like the the or at least the, the parting of the Red Sea, which is not a plague, but um, according to some where I read that all the waters of the earth, you know, divided. So the whole world was aware of what was going on in, in Egypt. I, I'm not sure, it, it, it troubles me a little bit. Uh, what were the Egyptians, okay, so they were going to you know, know about Hashem, but you know, what were they going to do with that knowledge since Egypt was totally destroyed? <laughs> You know, they, they couldn't really apply that knowledge very effectively. Yeah, it's a good point. It's a good point. Carrie. I think it's interesting that Pharaoh kind of stands alone because his people are suffering. The necromancers tell him this is the finger of God. The Jews want to leave, and Moses is threatening him. He tells him, I'm going to. Let my, he, when he's alone, he says to him, let my people go or wild beasts will come. And yet he still has his heart hardened. So it's interesting that he stood against all of it. It's very interesting that the necromancers, who um, I assume were people who worshipped like sheep and cows and had um, multiple gods, said it's the finger of God, like singular. Right. That's very interesting. So your first point, remind me what uh, the first point was. Pharaoh stands alone. Right. So the first point, we do see, it's an excellent point, and we do see at the end that the firstborn, there's a uprising against the Pharaoh but by the firstborn. Because when, yeah, when Moshe says, the firstborn are going to die, they say, well, we're not going to take this sitting down. Right? 
so they are are they they start a war against Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, Let all of Egypt die and the Jews aren't going out. So, you know, you have you had it in um, you know, dictatorships till till this day, you know, where the people don't have a say. And um, either with propaganda they keep them down or with brute force, whatever it is, the people have no say. That was uh, that was the situation there in Egypt. That's, so that's my thoughts on your first point. On the second point, which was... <laughs> uh, necromancer believing in... Yes, the, yes. Excellent point. Uh, Excellent point. I was up very early this morning, so I'm forgetting what I'm hearing. Um, yes, that is an excellent point, and I think that that speaks to this idea that deep down everybody knows the truth, and everything else is bubamysis. No offense to our bubbies, but when they say, "I believe in this God," "I believe in that God," in fact, the Tal- Talmud talks about how the idolaters refer to God as Elakod Elakaya, that He's the God of the gods. In other words, they worship their gods. They know deep down that who's the ultimate god, but they prefer to worship fake ones. And um, when they confronted with it, the truth comes out. It's very interesting. We talked a few weeks ago about uh, Hey Tavis was a court case of um, Chabad against one of the relatives of the, of the previous Rebbe who wanted to take the previous Rebbe's library for his own possession as, a, as an inheritor. And the case basically hinged upon the question, who does the library belong to? Does it belong to the community or does it belong to the, the rabbi as an individual? If it belongs to the rabbi as an individual, then it goes to his ears because he passed away in 1950. If it belongs to the community, it stays with the community. So those are the two sides of the argument. And very sadly, someone who had worked for the previous Rebbe as a, as a librarian, he had somehow gotten entangled with the other side. And he was arguing that it really belonged to the, the, the previous Rebbe as a personal, personal property. And it, re- it required some, you know, twisted logic to say that it belonged to him personally because you know all the evidence the documentation said that it belonged to the to the uh, to the community but he kept saying this and he kept you know he said when you know when the the previous rabbi said that, that it's it belongs to the community was really uh, a pretext to keep it out of you know, keep it out of a personal for legal reasons and so forth but at one point in the case one, one point in the court proceedings the attorney turns to this this individual, the librarian, and says, close your eyes, close your eyes, please, and picture the picture of the previous Rebbe in your mind. And then answer my question. When the previous Rebbe said that this belongs to the community, was, was the previous Rebbe capable of saying something that was untrue? And he did that. He closed his eyes and he, and he said, <laughs> this was the key witness for the other side. He says, 
The previous Rebbe was incapable of stating any untruth. And so if he said, so this was this was an incredible moment where this whole falsehood was being built for days and days, and then one moment the whole thing crashed just by closing his eyes and picturing the person that he was talking about. All of the bubamices faded away, and he just this truth came out. And that happens. It happens in life. And we, to take it to the personal, you know, we also create these stories, create these stories that we tell ourselves. And um, we're not always in tune with the ultimate truth, but we have the, the belief and the knowledge of the ultimate truth deep within us. Sometimes it comes out. And here you see it, where they say this, Etzbelikimi. But you see with Paro also, he keeps telling Moshe, pray to God. You know, when he need, when he needs to get rid of the frogs and get rid of these wild beasts, he knows where to turn. He turns to Moshe. Pharaoh tells Moses to speak to God on his behalf, and God tells Moses what to say to Pharaoh. He was the stuck in the middle. He was the middleman. But that's a good question. Why was Moshe... That was my question. Why does Moshe pray so hard for Pharaoh? Like, why? It seems like he's concerned. It didn't say he prayed. By Yispalot, by Yetar, he really prayed hard. Why do you think that is? You know, he asked him to pray. He said, okay, I'll pray for you. He doesn't owe him anything. Anybody? Um, I'll venture a, a response here that uh, you know if Moshe you know committed himself to anything that he uttered, you know, he was going to do it uh, wholeheartedly. You know he wasn't going to take any half measures. That's what he so he's saying. He committed to it. He did it. And and Paro asked him to pray hard. He actually did say, "Hatir, hatiru, badi." Okay. Anybody else? Good. So he's praying hard to God because he wants the plague really to stop. So he'll have leverage with the Pharaoh. If the plague doesn't stop, Moshe's saying, Moshe said it's going to stop tomorrow, and it doesn't stop. He loses his credibility with Paro, yeah. and his ultimate goal of getting the people out will not be successful. Yeah. But that leads me to another question. Why does he need to battle with God? Isn't, isn't he and God on the same team? Sounded like he had to pray hard. It wasn't enough to pray a little bit. And God would not have stopped the plague without his praying hard. Or maybe he didn't... Uh, well, I, I'm sure it's the wrong interpretation, but maybe he didn't believe enough that so he had to pray hard himself. To maybe... Wasn't there the case with the water? And the... He hit the he hit the rock. Yeah, he told him just 
speak to the rock, you hit the rock. Right. You told him you could speak to him, to me, and he was like uh, crying hard. Like, I'm sure. Double checking. Right. I don't know if this goes right into the question. Well, I think it's a uh, carry out. I mean, I feel like so much of the Torah is about, you know, kindness, um, helping others, like the morality. And so maybe he took some pity on Pharaoh. Maybe he didn't want to see the firstborn killed. Maybe he had chesed. And also, who was it that tried to save the people of, like, Saddam? Someone. Abraham. Abraham said... You know, if you find ten good men, something like that, you can yep. succeed. So it's kind of a similar argument to Scott. Yeah. So um, that that's interesting. In, in, or yeah, he could have had mercy on power, or 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 certainly the people of Egypt, people of Egypt, who didn't really have a choice now whether to let him go or not. So uh, that could be, that could be excellent. All right, gentlemen, this has been wonderful. Yeah, one more. Aaron. No, no, no. I'm just saying oh. goodbye for tonight. Adios. Adios. Yes. It's an honor and a pleasure. Hope everybody has a good Shabbat, and we'll see you on the other side Sunday night for the next parsha.